for the love of money. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Ah, good morning, Toronto. Good morning, Hi-Fi Radio, AM 640. Jack Hartle here to join Wolfgang Klein, your host, for yet another money-filled, entertained hour of radio. Good, good lineup yet again for you folks. Uh, Javed Mirza, a technician. I'm into fashion trends. He's into stock trends. Well, I like those too. Obviously, he's going to talk to us about the charts. Others call them the tea leaves. Who cares? We're going to learn something. Followed by Justin and Courtney from BDO, yet again, talking about the tax man coming at small business owners. If you're a small business owner, turn up your radio, charge up your coffee. We're going to tell you how you can benefit now before they well, get punitive on your success, shall we say. And we're going to end it with a trip around the world to Antarctica. We're going to look up at the sky with Kent Moore, who says there's a great big hole in the ozone layer, and yet Trump wants to burn some coal. It is going to be so much fun. Without further ado, let's talk trends, stock trends with Javed Mirza, our new technician at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. I used to work with you, Javed, over at RBC Dominion Securities, one of the big banks. Thank you for joining us on the greener side, shall I say, the, the side of independence. <laughs> Thank you so much for it, having no, me. No, it really is. It's great to have you here. Um, you know, it's funny, Javid, because there are not a lot of technicians left in this business. Um, this, none of the big six banks have a technician left, to the best of my knowledge. Actually, I think National still has a technician left. Um, J- Jack and I often have Ron Mizell's on air, but we have to drive to Montreal to get him on air. Yeah. Uh, we love having Ron on. Uh, he is, for the most part, Jack, a um, Elliott Wave theorist. Yeah. Uh, he's very, very good. Uh, but, Javid, I, I, your work I, I've been studying for, for many years, as I used to work with you, and you really cover a combination of uh, you'll look. You'll look at some Elliott Wave a little bit. You're you're a little bit into point and figure. Um, Trend and Cycle, of course, was this proprietary product uh, out of the big bank that was created in I think 1965. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're a trend follower, right? And we also use momentum a lot. So I guess I would say we use a blend of momentum and trend, and we use a lot of uh, what they talk about uh, in the CFA program is mosaic theory. So what I do when I do my weekly technical pieces, I look at commodities, currencies, fixed income, equities, and I look at everything at a whole from a top-down perspective. And then what I also do is I go through all the sectors, look at everything from a bottom-down perspective. So using everything, uh, all the tools that I have available to me, what I do is I put together a comprehensive picture or outlook of where we see sector rotation, the trends that are in place right now, and then most importantly, especially for money managers like yourself, the trends that are at risk of changing. So either from downtrends transitioning to uptrends or conversely uptrends transitioning to downtrends. And that's I think, is our biggest value add to portfolio and money managers because what you're seeing a lot of now is money flowing to ETFs and passive investors. But given the period where high correlations existed, so I would say 2011, 2012, where everything moved in tandem, now it's actually a great time for stock pickers like yourself. So what our job is to do is to add value, create ideas for portfolio managers, to add that alpha that helps you to outperform the machines. I love the word mosaic. We used to use that in broadcasting back in the day. It was called mosaic programming, where you brought a lot of different elements, different types of programming together to create a potpourri uh, of content, shall I say. So, yeah, thanks for the potpourri this morning. It it smells nice, (laughs) eh? Uh, Right beside my cup of coffee. Um, Let's talk about then some of your ideas. Uh, Give us a good long idea, something that's trending up right now. 
well, from our perspective uh, and, and from the Canaccord Research Department, we actually a couple of weeks ago put out a piece on names that would benefit from a stronger U.S. dollar. So our call for the last couple of weeks has been that the U.S. dollar is positioned for an intermediate term rally here. And so we highlighted some of the names in there that um, should benefit that our fundamental analysts highlighted as well. So well, yeah, and we so saw that because the, the, the Canadian dollar slipped from about 82 cents down to just below 78 cents. Uh, yeah. So good call on your part. So, 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 so yeah, I'd say what sectors would benefit, I guess, the most from that uh, strong U.S. dollar than Javan? Um, I can't speak to sectors per se because, you know, I'm not a fundamental analyst, so I don't know sure. the breakdown of holdings, but I can just give you some of the ideas that were highlighted in, in this report. And mm -hmm. then we, we cherry picked the stocks that we like from a technical perspective. So in the banks, uh, TD and BMO, which our fundamental analyst, Scott Chan, highlighted as having a very strong uh, U U.S. presence. We also like... So sorry, so the fundamentals we like, but technically, uh, out of the six big banks, TD and BMO, you think technically have a better profile? For banks that have high U.S. exposure. They right. had the highest U.S. Ah. exposure, and in general, we, we like the banks here. In Infotech, we highlighted CGI Group and OpenText, and those stocks have had a pretty good move higher here. And then just in the REIT space, uh, our fundamental uh, analyst flagged H&R REIT and Tricon. And H&R has been lagging a bit, but Tricon is reaccelerating right here, right now. So and, it looks and this timely. has to do with the, the, the currency primarily? It, it all has to do with this report where our analysts flagged names that should benefit from a higher U.S. dollar. And so that was our – and this is kind of the mosaic theory. Our view was that – the U.S. dollar should rally. So then we also always look at these derivative plays. We're always trying to think a step ahead and anticipate moves as opposed to react to moves. Let me ask you another question. This bull market that we are in right now, mm -hmm. uh, Jack and I debate this uh, loosely in the office. Um, did it begin in, in 09 and continue right through to present or did it pause in 11, which I believe, uh, and then re re resumed its, its upper trajectory? So in other words, how long is this bull market? Is it eight years or is it four years long? Well, since you're the host, I have to agree with you. So in our view, it started in 2013 is when we kind of broke out of the secular range that, or basically a bear market in equities that we saw from 2000 to roughly 2010. And then we had that pause in 2011 you talked about. But we actually really broke out of that range in 2013. So in our, view, in our view, we're in a secular bull market in equities. And from our perspective, we're seeing upside out into the late 2020s. Secular bull market means long-running bull market. This is fun to find out how long those bulls can run right after we pay the man. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. Everybody's talking about the new sound. Funny, but it's still rock and roll to me. For the love of money. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. Ah, good morning. Hi-Fi Radio on AM640. Jack Hartle, your co-host. Wolfgang Klein, your host. And we have a trend follower. It's not about ties. It's not about shirts. It's about investments, currencies, gold, stocks, bonds, derivatives, you name it. That's what we're talking about here with Javid from Canaccord Genuity, our new technician, which we are delighted to bring on board. So, Javid, we are in a secular bull market. What does this mean and how long will it run for? So from our perspective, just looking at previous cycles, and what, what I would point out is that history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. So the last couple of secular bull markets we've had typically last around 20 years. So that gives us upside or trajectory out into the late 2020s. Now, if you remember the last bull market in equities, 
it wasn't a smooth sail all the way up uh, to the NASDAQ mm-hmm. bubble. We had the stock market crash in 1987, mm-hmm. the recession in the 1990s, mm-hmm. and we also had Asian contagion in 1998. Yeah, so you have awesome. some, yeah, so we had some pretty strong pullbacks. Which you the, call cyclical declines within a secular uptrend. Exactly. And what happens is because we are in a secular bull market, the underlying force or pressure continues to push the market higher. Whereas when we're in that sideways trading range from 2000 to 2010, when we did have a correction, it was much stronger. So what we are likely to see is corrections here, but they're going to be more muted. Than how, how muted do you think? I don't know. I, uh, from our perspective, I think we're likely to still see you know 15 to 20% corrections. Because the bear market is marked when it's down 20 points. 20%, exactly. And which is basically what we hit on some of the indices it, in 2011, In right? 2011, I think it was 19.6% yep. or 19.8% on the S&P. Now, I like to round up, <laughs> up around, which yep. take me to 20. But yep. uh, again, all the pundits on TV kept saying, nope, bull market started in 09, hasn't ended, it's eight and a half years long. I say nonsense. Well, I mean, I think you're splitting hairs there. Exactly, but. I agree. I agree. So, so I say, Javad, uh, talk to us about the current market. Since uh, September, yep. uh, the market's up, I'm going to say, 7 to 8%. Uh, U.S. market. U.S. market, yeah. Um, do you see consolidation or continuation of that into the end of the year? So if you take a look at our weekly pieces, what we've highlighted over the last couple of weeks is that the major indices have recently triggered new mechanical momentum buys. So from our perspective, these are intermediate term. And from our uh, our view, intermediate term is typically three to six months. So I think we should have upside out by time into March, April of this year. So I'm going to ask you an easy question. You're going to make your RSP contribution. Do you wait to February or do you do it now if you have the money in the bank? I would do it now. Absolutely. You've yeah. got to do it now. You're in the seasonal period of strength. Do you, do you pay attention to seasonality? We have Brooke Thackeray on every now and then. He's a good friend of mine who's done a lot of work on seasonality. What's your What's your take on it? Yep. Well, That's Brooke, w- right? That was Brooke calling me right there. <laughs> yep. Well, we actually look at everything. So that's part of the whole mosaic, mosaic theory. Right. Exactly. What I'm trying to do is, from my perspective, technical analysis is just a t- another tool in the toolbox. And all we're trying to do is give you the highest quality, um, the highest conviction ideas. And it's just a matter of as many things lining up positively as possible. So say, for instance, in line with what you're saying there, say a stock is showing signs of improving on a relative strength basis. We're starting to see price patterns that suggest a low is forming. And then we look at seasonality and it suggests the next couple of months are positive from a seasonality perspective. Then we'd definitely be looking to add exposure to that stock and and kind of riding the wave and the upside uh, from all those, uh, from the confluence of all those factors. Yeah, so the stars are lining up. So we spoke about uptrends. Um, Again, Potash, Cameco, uh, a lot of the energy names are not trending up, they're trending down. That's what Mm -hmm. I'm seeing. Uh, What would you say would be the biggest short? Not that we're big shorters around this office, but uh, what's obviously trending lower in your opinion? Well, I wouldn't, at at this juncture, and we highlight this every week for portfolio managers, so you could take a look there because sometimes it changes from week to week. But given we are in a secular bull market, from my perspective, you either have two positions in the market, and that's either long or flat. Now, in terms of areas of the market that are likely to underperform, 
we're in a secular bull market in equities, and we had a secular bull market in commodities from 2000 to 2010. Mm-hmm. Now that historic, co- historic bull market, I- exactly. But that co- epic proportions, it really was. But with the build out of China yep. uh, and the amount of copper consumption, the amount of urban cities yep. being created, it was it truly was historic. Because I know we, I know where you're going to go. I, with say, it. I think a important. lot of Canadians are waiting for that to come back, and it could be a long time. Yeah, I, I and then that's a, that's where I'm going exactly where right. I'm going with this. So we do see that coming back, but it's going to be at the end of this secular bull market in equities and the candidate for the same kind of build out we think is going to be either India or China oh sorry not India or Africa and so we're working on a piece actually that should come out in the next couple of months where we highlight very long term factors and, and cycles which I think will be an interesting read but back to this point from the data we look at we're in a period where the TSX is likely to underperform the S&P 500 so uh, w- what we mean here is it's not that it's going to be negative performance, but the S&P, say, returns 15%. The TSX is likely to return 10%. And that's purely due to the uh, materials weighting. So you can get these multi-quarter periods of outperformance in the TSX, and those are typically energy-driven. But in general, uh, the resource areas of the market are going to kind of lag uh in a longer term trends. And the areas of the market that we really like and see as leadership globally remain information technology and financials. Mm-hmm. Well, you know something, what Jack and I do is we like to speak to our analysts, we like to study companies, look for trends, which means we think tech, we think fundamentally, mm-hmm. but we trade technically. Right. And uh, I think the technicals lead the fundamentals at the end of the day. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. I, I 100% agree. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, uh, in, in the middle and the bulk of the, tr- of, of the trend, it is fundamentals and technicals move together. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the trend and the beginning of the trend, yeah. which is where we add the most value and where also the quote-unquote easy money is, yeah. that's where technicals, technicals uh, absolutely. I, I would Mark, say, rule the roost. Agreed. And that's why Jack and I, when something breaks down, we like to wait for a technical turn before the news gets better. And again, we often see stocks roll over technically, the news still good, and then a few months later, bang, you get the bad news. It's incredible how the market thinks ahead. So friends... Think fundamentally, trade technically, but we got to pay the man again. Hang by. We're going to talk tax after the man. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. Because the world is run by the man. Who? The man. Oh, you don't know the man? Oh, well, he's everywhere. In the White House, down the hall, Miss Mullins. She's the man. And the man ruined the ozone and he's burning down the Amazon, and he kidnapped Shamu and put her in a chlorine tank, okay? And there used to be a way to stick it to the man. It was called rock and roll. Uh, well, without rock and roll, we got our friends at BDO to help us, I don't know about stick it to the man, but to help us manage the man. Uh, back by popular demand, Justin and Courtney from BDO are accounting champions. Thank you for joining us on High Five Radio this morning. Thanks for having us. So we, uh, we have some things to discuss here in terms of the uh, small business uh, reconstruction of the Tax Act. Uh, there's a number of key topics uh, where a entrepreneur sprinkles income to his spouse. The, that was under attack. Of course, when companies leave money inside their business and invest it outside of the normal business activity, in other words, they call Jack and I say, hey, I got a couple hundred thousand dollars. Rather than leaving the bank, can we invest it in Canadian companies, some Canadian stocks? Well, they want to tax that passive investment a little more aggressively. Uh, lifetime capital gains exemption was up uh, uh, in, in the scope uh, grandfathering, I think, may be the, the solution to some of our problems. And, of course, capital gains being converted into income. So that's the uh, menu that I need you guys to help us out with. So uh, maybe, please, uh, to take over, lead, lead us on this. Where, where are we at with it all? 
Yeah, so I'll start with the dividend sprinkling. So that is staying in effect. They are going after it. They've reduced the small business rate again, which has been in the news recently. So, sorry, back to sprinkling. So they will allow it or won't allow it? Uh, they won't allow sprinkling after this year. So, so, you, so, so an year. entrepreneur can no longer take some of his income and allocate it towards his children or his spouse. Unless they're involved. Unless in they have the business. a business interest. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So they put in the reasonability tests and it doesn't sound like they're changing anything up on that. So that, 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 that is not going to make entrepreneurs happy. No, it's no, not going to make entrepreneurs n- happy. Not happy. Okay, and what else? Um, so they did back down on the lifetime capital gains exemption. So, so what is it and how do they back down? So basically, they were going to put similar constraints on utilizing the lifetime capital gains exemption, which is if you sell shares of a qualified small business corporation, and in simple terms, say an operating company, you mm-hmm. know, owner-managed company, if you sell your shares, the first $835,000 is currently tax-free mm-hmm. based on using your capital gains exemption. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets one to use in their lifetime. You can only use it on qualified small business corporation shares. Mm-hmm. And what they were going to do is they were going to say, unless you're actively involved in the business and if you hold your shares directly in the company, so not through a family trust, we will not allow you to use your capital gains exemption on the sale of these shares. But what they did with all of the feedback and congratulations to everybody who wrote in you know, to the Department of Finance, significant changes, and they backed down on this and they said, we're not going to go through with this measure at this point in time. So, so the people spoke. Were, were, were they heard? Absolutely. So it actually worked. Because I remember you're on air. You were, you were encouraging uh, the listeners to write to your MP, uh, write to anyone who would listen to you in Ottawa as to the, the, the lunacy of what's taking place here. And you believe it actually worked? Yeah. The Department Excellent. of Finance received 21,000 submissions. So uh, it sounds 21,000 like- people wrote in. Yep. And they made a quick turnaround. Jack, how, how, was it one or two of those your letters? Uh, I'm sure I agreed with the number of them. I'll say that much. <laughs> well, B- BDO put out put through a very formal submission, very technical, you know, detailing. You know, here's what's wrong with it. I think our firm's really leading the charge in terms of being a front runner in terms of standing up for the small business owner. Um, Good for BDO, really, really leading the charge. So, so, so why so do you think, I would say why do you think they backed down on that uh, the lifetime capital gains exemption? I think there's two main reasons. Yeah. There was a lot of pushback from professionals and from you know the farming community in particular. And this was creating major problems with intergenerational transfers of businesses. Mm. So there was some very unintended Which tax I could definitely points. see in the farming industry, eh, Jack? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So in essence, I guess what I'm saying is it was going to be you would pay less tax if you sold your shares to an unrelated party than you would if you'd sell them to your own your family. Own, your own oh, family. Oh, like, my. how was that fair? Oh, my. Wow. Uh, okay. So the uh, lifetime capital gains exemption remains. That's a good thing. Uh, now, what about the the, the notion of, of, of converting capital gain into income? Explain to us what that concept is and how it's been altered. Simply put, it's kind of like surplus stripping. In, a, in essence, if you take money out of your corporation now, you pay tax at the dividend rate. Which and is? Top rate's 40 or 45%. Mm-hmm. Simple, simply put, um, what people do is they use strategies to extract the money at a lower tax rate, so either tax-free or the capital gains tax rate, okay? And that's what the government refers to as surplus stripping, and the measures they were going to implement in the proposed legislation were to prevent you from extracting money from your corporation at the lower tax rate. Now, let me let me see if I understand it, because it is complicated. Our, our tax law is way complicated. And I'm not a silly guy. I, I actually pass math. My kid's struggling in math right now. It's killing me. Um, but I, I did okay in math. Corporate tax rates in Canada for small business is how much? So 
15 or 26 percent? Um, so the small business rate is the 15 and a half percent. So 15 and a half percent for small business. Yep. And they're actually talking about reducing that. Um, but so, so for a corporate level, they're paying 15 percent in tax. If they then take the profit out of the company, how much will they be taxed? Here, here's a nice way to put it, actually. It, the Canadian tax system is built on the concept of integration. Mm-hmm. So if you incorporate a company mm-hmm. and you pay your corporate tax, take the money out as a dividend, mm-hmm. let's just say you're left with 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. If that same person operates that same business as an independent contractor, as a sole proprietor, mm-hmm. so not incorporated, he's going to earn his money, he's going to pay his tax, and he's going to left with, be left with the same $100 at the end of the day. So is this before the changes or after the that's, changes? That's current. That's how the current legislation the current works. current one. Okay, it's so now already these changes, what's going to happen? Is it, it going to get worse? The, the proposed changes were going to make it worse. So ultimately, with the proposed changes, what could be the maximum amount of tax a, 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 a shareholder of this private corp could pay? Uh, here's here's, here's one. In. They backed down on this. They backed down on this. But what would have happened on death, like currently you'd pay the capital gains tax rate of 25%. Uh-huh. These, the proposed changes were going to increase that tax rate to 73%. They backed down okay, on that. Okay, the 70 it doesn't make sense. So what we're going to do, what we always do, is pay the man and come back to you and talk about that 70 points of tax. Stay with us. There's more show still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Yeah, you know, I was reading the Pete Townsend book, uh, and he was just grumbling as to how much tax the rock stars used to pay in the 70s and 80s in London. Uh, And hence, that's where that song came from, The Tax Man. So if it upset the Beatles, it can upset you and me too, can't it? Of course. Of course. Hi-Fi Radio, AM 640. Good morning. We're talking tax. Yeah, you want to keep your radio turned on. I know you don't like the subject, but it's important to understand, especially if you own a small business. Let's talk about grandfathering. Um, this this has been part of Jack's strategy for the last couple of months when these proposals have been tabled. And they said, well, Jack, we, Jack said, Wolf, we got to speak to our clients to find out what they can grandfather now in terms of moving assets inside their corp from an investment point of view. So please explain to us what will be grandfathered and how can business owners benefit today by making some moves before the, the new legislation takes place? Yeah, so they haven't really moved further with the passive investments held inside of a corporation. They talked a bit about um, having a threshold in there of 50000 on your investment income and, of course, grandfathering in some of the investments that are currently held. So, if, so, has sorry, been, so I would say, has that been confirmed that they are going to grandfather or what's the, uh, what's the status of that at this point? So they said, they, they did say that if you have retained earnings or investments in a corporation, when and if they make the changes to the passive investments, they would grandfather whatever investments you currently have in your corporation. 100% of them. 100% of them. Now, I say that, but remember, these changes, all, they've, all they have done is released a white paper, and a white paper is not legislation. So if you have a company, let's, let's just say you have a construction company or a, a retail operation, whatever the case may be, an internet company, um, you, you create emojis, okay? And emoji business is good, you make lots of money, and you keep money inside your corp to the tune of 10 million bucks. You call Jack and Wolf, and we put that money to work, and make we make you six, seven percent on that money—a reasonable outcome. Uh, so, on ten million bucks, we're making you what's the math there, Jack? Seven hundred thousand dollars a year. Would that be grandfathered? So, so there's two differences here. That money would be grandfathered, but what we're looking at is they're—they're really—they're really what they don't like is when you move income that's been taxed at that low rate that Courtney mentioned, the fifteen, which is going down to thirteen and a half percent. Yeah. If you move that income into another corporation 
or invested in that same corporation. So you're investing with that that low tax dollar, yep. that thirteen and a half percent tax dollar. They don't like that. That's where they want to increase. They, that's where they want to implement an additional tax. So existing investments, prior to them increase in making su- such a change, and again, we haven't seen legislation on this, so we don't know when and if it would occur. Those investments should be grandfathered. Mm-hmm. This this often takes place in the Holdco part of a client's corporate structure. So they have an operating company where they generate this money, and then as it becomes quote-unquote retained earnings, they move it up into their hold co, and there they invest it through Jack and I. So I go back to, if they have 10 million bucks and we're generating them 7% on that, which is $700,000 a year, that would be grandfathered, you believe? Well, that's what they said. That's what they said. It hasn't, it so hasn't no, no, been but, confirmed yet. It, but, okay, so let, let's, that, that's cool, Jack. So let's assume it does go through. Is it then a reasonable strategy? Because this, this has been part of Jack's been kicking me on, on moving forward with this one here. Is it a reasonable strategy then for a small business owner who's sitting on some idle money to actually get it in and put it to work now prior to? Absolutely. So Absolutely. We'd say if it's like got, a free call if you, option. If you've got, yeah. if, well, if you've got an operating company that has excess cash, and, and we'd say if, if you're thinking about investing it with you guys, which is a great idea, we'd say take it, move it up to your holding company now as soon as possible so you can start investing it there. And so that, again, according to what they've said, we haven't seen legislation yet. That that money would would be grandfathered. That's and an so, excellent. So, so, now that money's still being taxed, but what rates are being taxed at right now? Right, right now would be the top investment rate on a corporate income would be fifty point one seven percent. And when the change goes through, what would it be taxed at? The same rate. Yeah. But again, they're 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 saying that they'd add an additional layer of tax. So kind of to be determined because the formula is quite complex, and they've <laughs> actually like they've actually given two potential methods to take. So. Unbelievable. I hate the complexity. That drives me nuts. They should keep this stuff simple so we all can understand it and, and shall I say, be more straight up with it all. One thing I, wanna, I, would, I wouldn't mind mentioning is, though, now I think it's a great time to plan because with all these potential changes, you know, they've backed off on what we loosely talked about, surplus stripping. A lot of things that we're, we're looking at now is what's in, the back, what's in their back pocket? Are they, could they increase the capital gains inclusion rate? from 50% to 75%, and what can you do now to, to prevent that from impacting you? We're working with a lot of significant planning transactions right now mm-hmm. to sort of be proactive with our clients to say, hey, what if they go ahead and increase the capital gains inclusion rate from 50 to 75? Because when you look at the big picture of what they were trying to do yep. and what they backed off on, if they increase the capital gains inclusion rate, that would really accomplish a lot of what they've just taken back on, and they thought they were going to do this. They, they said they were going to do this a year and a half ago, so don't be surprised if this comes yeah. out no, it's coming at some point. Friends, look, now's the time to plan. Call our friends at BDO, Justin and Courtney. They're wonderful people. At BDO, fantastic accounting firm, Justin and Courtney. They will take care of you. They'll give you some good professional advice and just answer some of those questions that may be uh, burning on your radar. Well, folks, let's see what's burning in the hole in the ozone in the Antarctic as we speak with Kent, a professor at UFT, and find out what Trump's coal is going to do about it right after this. Stay with us. There's more show still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. Yeah, good morning. Wolfgang Klein here. Jack Hartle in the studio. Little Bruce Coburn, just to lift our spirits. (laughs) 
I guess Bruce would have a tough time doing that. But I always liked Bruce Coburn. He was just a great Canadian artist. And, you know, he's, he, he spoke what he believed. And uh, he was a believer in the planet, my good friend. And as such, Jack and I believe in the planet. We have kids, and we want to see the air be clean and the lakes be clean. The lakes are actually are cleaner, right? Jack Lake Ontario is much cleaner now than I was a kid. I'm not saying I'd go swimming in it today, but a lot cleaner than it was in the 70s. Some of the best beaches, I think, in the world are in Toronto. Freshwater beaches, they say. It's unbelievable, yeah. eh? Uh, well, Kent Moore is a professor with the University of Toronto, uh, a... Uh, Physicist, are you, or a chemist? You're a physicist, I guess, eh? I'm a physicist. You're a physicist. And you discovered a hole in the ozone, uh, I guess, above Antarctica recently. Uh, actually, it was in the sea ice off of Antarctica. In the sea ice off of Antarctica. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you're just standing in the ice one day, and you looked up, and you saw a hole? Uh, well, I, we don't. no one goes down there in the winter. It's winter in Antarctica, so we discovered by looking at satellite data. Satellite did isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Isn't that so? And, and so, what did it tell you? What what caused the hole, and how big is the hole, and uh, how alarming are you? Or alarmed are you by the hole? Well, it's interesting. So this uh, the hole is about eighty at its largest size is about eighty thousand square kilometers, which is about the size of Lake Superior. So it's pretty big. Wow. Uh, and uh, so it appeared in the nineteen seventies. So for three years, the nineteen seventies, there was this hole, or we called a uh, polynia. And then it went away uh, for about 40 years. It came back last year, a bit smaller, maybe 40,000 square kilometers. And then it came back this year. So we're not 100% sure why it formed and why it went away for 40 years. Uh, and that's some of the stuff we're actually we're still trying to nail down exactly why it came back after this long period of time. Am I concerned? It's probably not a direct cause of global warming because it, it kind of it was that large period where it wasn't there. So I don't think it's actually an indication of the fact that the planet is warming, but it just shows you how little we actually know about the climate system that, uh, you know, these, this is a really big, uh, you know, kind of region of open water. And uh, we have really no idea uh, why it formed or uh, why it came back. And so it just argues that there's still lots about the climate system that we don't understand. And it's important that we understand that so we can improve our predictions of future climate change. Mm-hmm. Well, this notion of ethical investing, green investing, uh, it's very, very relevant and, and, and it resonates with a lot of people. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fiduciary. And so my job at the end of the day is to, is to, is to make sure that I'm, I'm putting the most suitable investments in my clients' portfolios. And, and the primary objective, of course, is to make clients money. So I am every now and then torn between uh, what's good for Mother Nature and what's good for the bottom line. And the ideal scenario is when the two line up. And so, although we all have our biases, I'm sure you do as well, Kent, but do you believe the two can line up? Uh, can, can we be good citizens and, and still be very, very profitable? In fact, more profitable over the long run? I think we can. I think it's hard. You know, it's not always easy. I think that's one of the uh, kinds of uh, things that make it, I guess, a challenge for you. But for instance, I once read a story of. Uh, some guy in Hawaii who has a Tesla, and he's really happy because he's helping the, envi- you know, the environment because he's driving this electric car. But in Hawaii, all their power comes essentially from uh, diesel generators. Right. Okay? So they're burning you know, carbon, burning fossil fuels to generate electricity. They're, you know, they're sending it down some you know, power line. Mm-hmm. Got, and Which is very the- inefficient. And there's a loss. Correct. So you probably, you so, probably use more carbon, I would bet, in many ways. Exactly. So that's <laughs> the issue. So he thinks he's doing something good for the environment. And he's he not. Really isn't. Yeah. So that's, I think, the, the uh, complexity for, you know, for people that really understand, you know, what all the costs are. I mean, for instance, biofuels, I'm not 100% convinced they're actually a good thing for the environment because they do 
dis, dis, you know, there's a there's a dislocation. You know, they can't grow other things there. There's you know costs involved in that. So, so I think it's I think they can line up, but I think it, it's extra work for investors to actually really see that this actually is an ethical investment. And there's lots of things which I don't, don't think are, frankly, ethical investments out there, but they're promoted that way. And so they make people feel good, but they may not be doing something for the environment. So I think it's possible, but you've got to kind of go the extra step to really understand, you know, what are the, what are the trade-offs, uh, you, know, uh, you know, what is the dislocation, even things like hydropower. You know, hydropower, you know, floods land. And so you might think it's actually a green uh, sort of energy source, but there are, you know, kind of costs involved in, in that, you know, flooding of land to produce the hydro dam. Huh, you know, I, I, I have a cottage up in Halliburton and beaver have taken over our property. So they're flooding my land, my friend. All right, these beaver are flooding my property and I'm getting no hydro out of it. Uh, so I'm like, <laughs> that's a lose-lose situation there. If you know a trapper, please send them my way. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, but but it, what do you, th- again, based on your studies, from your perspective, the future of hydrocarbons, Oil, in other words, um, I'm starting to really question oil's uh, longevity. Uh, what do you think? I think I think we need to get off of uh, our use of carbon. I think the uh, you know there's clear evidence, you know, going back almost 40 years since the first climate models were run, that when you increase greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, you increase the temperature of the earth. So that's I think irre- irrefutable, and you know, people who argue otherwise are just really trying to confuse people. So I think there's no argument about that. There may be some arguments as whether it's going to be you know, in the year 2100, whether it's going to be 4 degrees Celsius rise or 5 degrees or 8 degrees. There is some debate there as well, but clearly even 4 degrees is going to be catastrophic to us. So I think, you know, uh, uh, there's clear evidence that we need to get off our use of carbon. Uh, I think it's hard, frankly, because if I had invested in a coal you know, power plant, assuming I would amortize that cost over 40 years and mm-hmm. then next next year you tell me i've got to shut it down then i'm clearly out lots of money and uh, so i think it's hard for us to do that but i think we need to get off of carbon as soon as possible uh, and i think use of alternative fuels you know solar power wind power hydro uh, nu- nuclear power i think is actually a fantastic power source it, it, there is some cost down the road in dealing with the uh, the waste yeah. you know the waste but frankly uh you know i would rather deal with that than than deal with uh, three meter rise in sea level where i lose you know, infrastructure at sea level, all of New York is lost. And, you know, yeah, no, yeah, not, not, not a good outcome, my friend. All right, here's what, Bruce, here's where we, excuse me, Kent, here's what we got to do. Uh, we're going to pay the man because this, this is the man uh, week, shall I say. Uh, but hang around with us. I want to ask you a few more questions about uh, your discoveries and uh, where you think uh, we can get our energy from on a go-forward basis. Just hang around for a bit. Thanks. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. There is unrest in the forest. There is trouble with the trees. For the maples want more sunlight and the oaks ignore. For the love of money. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Well, last one, folks. Thank you for listening. Hi-Fi Radio, AM 640. Kent Moore, professor at University of Toronto, physicist, and the man who discovered the hole on the sea ice in Antarctica. Uh, How big was that hole you discovered again, Kent? 80,000 square kilometers. Unbelievable size. Size of Lake Superior. Unbelievable size. Wow, wow, wow. 
So here we are. We're electrifying the planet. Uh, you know, things are changing. We're seeing a few more windmills out there. But uh, you're pretty keen on uh, uranium. And it's funny because we went through, Jack and I traded the uranium stocks back in the you know, 2006, 2007. You had what was called uranium mania, nuclear renaissance. I kid you not. And the, the stocks went parabolic. And then you had the uh, catastrophe in Japan. And the stocks basically went to the dumps. And they are sitting down there on the floor ever since. So that, that is a real boom-bust industry. I'm talking specifically about uranium trading, that is. Um, yet, uh, you know, uh, Pickering continues to power, I think, a good chunk of the province. Uh, uh, and you are hearing of startup of nuclear reactors. So based on the alternatives available to us in our consumption, uh, can't their consumption patterns, um, uh, you, think, you think nuclear still makes a lot of sense? I think it does. Uh, you know, one of the problems with... Uh all the alternatives, you know, solar and wind is that if the sun doesn't shine, the wind doesn't blow, there's no power. So I think you need baseline, you know, we need that, you know, baseline power. And I think uh, nuclear does a good job of it. It's cheap, relatively cheap, and uh, it doesn't produce carbon. And so I think we need to kind of, uh, you know, for the next century, really deal with decarbonizing our our economy. And that means I think nuclear is uh, good. Unfortunately, you know, there are problems like in Fukushima, you know, in Three Mile Island a long time ago, we got to deal with those things, but I think uh, it's a much safer source of energy for us in the uh, near term. Yeah, so so Donald Trump is touting coal, and Jack just put this on my on my lap here, the, the, the little media clip about Donald Trump last week where no one knows this better than me, no one knows that better than me, no one knows the environment better than Donald Trump, uh, and yet he wants to bring back coal. Like, nonsense. I, I don't understand uh, his philosophy. Please, can you shed some light on what his strategy is? The professor of U of T doesn't know I feel much better. Uh, thank you for that answer. You know, carbon is, I mean, sorry, coal is, was on its way out. It was being displaced by uh, natural gas, a much cleaner you know, source of energy. And so I don't know why Donald's bringing back coal. I mean, uh, I was just in China last, last week and, uh, you know, uh, over the two decades I've been visiting China, I mean, when I was there 20 years ago, you know, they were losing a lot of coal and the air quality was just horrible oh. and the air quality has improved. It's still not, it's still not great. And so they're, they're cutting down, down the use of coal. Uh, I don't know why Donald wants to bring coal back. It's going to pollute the environment. Coal is an incredibly dirty thing to mine as well, the way they mine coal now. Oh, no, they're mining so clean coal, apparently. Well, yeah, but you've got Appalachia <laughs> and it's not very clean. So I don't know what he's doing, frankly. I think it's a, it's a misguided uh attempt to revive a failing industry which is failing not because of environmental issues but just because natural gas there's so much natural gas you know floating around now that just just just, it's cheaper and it and it's cleaner so i think it's a double that's an example of sort of i think a win-win displacing coal with natural gas and so i don't understand what he's doing 100 it's it's certainly a transistory of fuel natural gas from coal i think uh kent it's jack here um, Hi. Canada or uh, Ontario has cap and trade uh, as a policy. I just want to see, I guess, what your view is on that versus carbon tax as a uh, um, from a business perspective. Okay, I, I uh, you know, I, I'm not an expert in kind of uh, that, but my sense is that a carbon tax is more transparent. You kind of understand what you're doing with with cap and trade. I mean, I think there have been some issues in the European Union with their cap and trade system. I think it re- it requires more sort of overhead to kind of manage it. And I think if we just put a price on carbon, then I understand when I go to the pumps, what's happening and everyone sort of, it's a much more uh, sort of, I think a a, a much kind of uh, more level playing field. 
I think governments like cap and trade because it allows them to kind of put their fingers in the economy a little bit. And I don't think it frankly works as well as just a straight carbon tax. Yeah, it seems like it's a little complex and I'm uh, concerned, I guess, the Ontario government can manage anything that's relatively complex. So, yeah, the that, carbon tax is the case. And I think they like, you know, they like that. They like, you know, putting their fingers in the hydro system. And frankly, I think one of the reasons why it's such high hydro costs in Ontario is because frankly, they messed that up. And I'm sure they'll mess up the carbon tax, the cap and trade as well. And I think a straight carbon tax is more transparent. Everyone knows what's happening. And, uh, you know, it just it just puts the cost on carbon in a way which I think is uh, more transparent. Hey, I, I want to end on one point here again. We think about a hole, the hole in the ozone. Uh, we think about aerosol cans. Uh, so, Jack, give me the old Wikipedia here. I'm going to work on pronouncing this properly. Again, it's early in the morning, Saturday morning here. Chlorofluorocarbons. Uh, the Montreal Protocol was to put an end to CFCs, the stuff that we used in our air conditioners, uh, uh, which is otherwise known as Freon, and replace it with, I guess, a derivative product um, that didn't seem to have the same impact on the environment but ironically these cfcs continue to trade in the black market uh it's unbelievable you'd actually trade this stuff in the black market uh, how real is that i didn't i didn't know that i guess everything's possible i mean you know we we think of actually in terms of climate policy or climate policy the ozone the montreal protocol is actually put up as one of the shining examples of how when we actually decide to do something as a planet we can do something right and that's exactly that was jack's point to me yeah yeah and i think it's great and i didn't know whether it was still i didn't know it was a black market in fluorocarbons i assume you know somewhere in china yeah some sixteen thousand, i don't know sixteen thousand tons of the stuff uh trades illegally each and every year uh so anyways look uh Professor Kent, uh, it was a, Kent Moore. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, now we know who to call when we have a question on the environment. You're a very, very bright man. Uh, it's a real pleasure to have you. Folks, Hi-Fi Radio, great show. Great having you with us each and every Saturday morning. We appreciate your presence. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640Toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.